This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the New Books Network. Confounding, exhilarating, and contagious. Emotions matter, and so does applying emotional intelligence. Welcome to Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, the podcast where emotions rule. Whatever the topic, how do hearts and minds collide? Find out with your host, a college professor turned globetrotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 51st episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is welcome to the infinite media era. I'm joined by Matthew Sweezy. He is the author of The Context Marketing Revolution, How to Motivate Buyers in an Age of Infinite Media. The publisher is Harvard Business Review Press. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So give us a brief overview of the book, if you don't mind. Sure. Quick overview. Um, so what we're talking about is, first thing is, you have to realize that we're talking about marketing, and marketing is a game, and the rules are set based on the media environment. So what I was able to research and find is studying noise, really finding out that we've entered a new point in time where businesses are no longer the largest creators of noise. In fact, consumers are the largest creators of noise in the marketplace. And it's often what we think about this is, oh, it was just more noise. But the reality is it's not more noise. It's an entirely new media environment where people can connect, they can interact, they can do things they never could do before, creating totally new behaviors, meaning that we're in a new point in time. So we need a new idea or a new marketing game. And that's really what this book is about, is about this notion of marketing transformation. How do we transform into a new idea of marketing and why? Okay. And you said in the book, there was even a very specific date on which the transformation took place. Yeah. So we entered the new media era uh, as best as my math can uh, calculate is June 24th, 2009. And what that specifically means is that all of time prior to that date, media was limited, meaning it was limited in terms of how we created it and who could create it, how we distribute it and who could distribute it and how we could access it. And then after that point in time, we entered the infinite media era where there are no barriers to creation, to distribution, or to access. And it's on that specific date that consumers became the largest creators of noise and will be until the end of time. Okay. And you mentioned, I mean, that's over a decade ago already. And you mentioned that only about 16% of the companies in your research seem to be playing the new game uh, adroitly. Why is that true? Oh, that's, that's pretty easy to understand. I mean, uh, it takes a long time for change to happen. Um, I mean, hell, the book, The Experience Economy, was published in 1999, and businesses have only been on like experience-focused journeys for six years. That's almost 15 years for it to even take, a, take effect. Um, and that was you know, a groundbreaking book published by Harvard. Um, so it's just, just nature. It takes a long time to change. But what we are seeing is 16% of all businesses are what we're considering to be high-performing marketing organizations. 
meaning that they are happy with their marketing outcomes and that they are significantly beating their direct competition. Now, here's the interesting fact. They're not just high performers and saying like, oh, they're you know 10% more likely to do these things than others. No, no, no. These high performers are 10 times more likely to be significantly beating their direct competition. And here's what the big difference is. We've looked at all the research. We've studied this for the past five years here at Salesforce. And what we've concluded is the biggest differences between high-performing marketing organizations and everyone else is simply executive buy-in to a new idea of marketing, where the head executives understand marketing is no longer a department, and they move it out of the department and allow it to become the owner and sustainers of all experiences across the customer journey. That's it. That's the biggest change. And when they're able to make that change, a wide door opens and a new future exists. Okay, so is it fair to guess that one of the reasons why the change goes slowly is you have executives who have to buy into this new vision and, and they may have, uh, I guess we could say, depreciating intellectual capital in that they have an old model in their head. A thousand percent correct. I mean, I always use the term, not all puppies make it, right? If we look at the Fortune 500 list from a decade ago and look at it today, totally different list, completely different list. Um, so change is transformational and those that are understanding of why we need to change and are able to embrace and take on the challenge of change are succeeding. And those that can't, uh, it's the same story as, as all time. If you can't change, you can't keep up, you fall behind. We know that story. Okay. So maybe the poster child for this you suggest is Tesla, who has a model that is market, sell, build, and market yet again. Yeah. Um, can you explain that model and, and why Tesla is so good at this? And maybe give us a few examples of their, their abilities here. Yeah. So first off, let's take a, a clear lens of what we're talking about. We're just not going to say Tesla because that's just too easy. You could just say Tesla and it's just like, you know, a simple answer. But let's look at a complex scenario. Here's the scenario. It's 2017. The number one luxury car manufacturer at this point in time is Mercedes-Benz. Now, the data I'm going to share with you is specific to the United States in 2017. So just kind of keep that in mind. Sure. So here's what happens. You've got the number one luxury car manufacturer. So if you're the number one, you obviously have been doing something that works. So in your mind, all you need to do is either continue or find more efficient ways to do that thing. And that's exactly what Mercedes-Benz does. Now, here's the number breakdown. We're going to compare the Mercedes-Benz C-Class to the Tesla Model 3. Those are the two most comparable cars in terms of market. Okay. Now, what we find is for Mercedes-Benz to sell one unit, of their C-Class, they on average spend $926 in advertising. And that nets them 86,000 domestic unit sales in 2017. Not too bad. Now, here's their business model. Remember, we're talking about marketing transformation. They have a traditional idea of marketing. And here's what I mean. This is how their business operates. They build something. They build a car. They then go over to the marketing department and say, tell the world and drive demand for this car that we have built. And then they sell the car. And probably in your head, you're like, yeah, that's how business works. And I would caution you and say, that's how business worked. Now let's look at another model. And let's look at Tesla. And let's look at the tail of the tape from Tesla. Remember, 2017, number one luxury car manufacturer is Mercedes-Benz. Here comes Tesla. Tesla launches the Model 3. You know what the average advertising cost per unit sold was? $6. Just quick math. That is one 150th of what the number one luxury car manufacturer at that point in time was spending. Now you could say, okay, they spent a radically fewer amount, of, they spent radically less, but what did they gain? Well, what they gained was they pre-sold. Now, asterisk, pre-sold. Remember, the car 
doesn't exist. Yeah. They pre-sell 276,000 units just domestically in the United States. That is three times. So they spend one 150th less and sell three times more. That's a radical difference. Now, let's look at their underlying business structure. Idea one, they don't even have a CMO. Just let that sink into your head. There is no CMO here. What we have is a totally different idea of how they relate to their market and how they go to market, a different idea of what marketing means. First off, they start by having a conversation with their marketplace, not about cars, but about how do we get the world off of fossil fuels? And they continue to drive that conversation through radical innovation. Think about all the things that you have heard about from Elon, whether it was, you know, him smoking a J with, you know, uh, on the podcast or, you know, launching a a car into outer space or building flamethrowers. Literally, they built flamethrowers and sold them. He just launched a a tequila brand or alcohol brand. I don't remember what it was. They had the boring company. It's, It's just all radical innovation and that's how they stay forefront. But it's all about conversations on how to get the world off of fossil fuels. Step number two. So they work with the market, step one. Step two is they ask them to participate in this future. They co-create the product with the market because they say, hey, listen, we don't have the funds to build these cars. Uh, And we also know that we're just not going to come out and build the most amazing car. It's going to be a series of cars. And so we're going to fund this car. You're going to pre-buy these. That's going to give us the money to build these cars and deliver them to you. So they make this deal with the marketplace to co-create the product. So they've sold it before they even build it. Then they build it. Then they continue to deliver the most amazing customer experience in the car industry that anyone has ever seen. In fact, if you either have a Tesla or have a friend that has a Tesla, one of two things have happened. You have either told somebody about how amazing your experience was, or you've heard from someone else how amazing that experience was. So that's what we're talking about of a totally transformed idea of marketing. It's not how do I find a new way to do the old thing of marketing. It's how do we realize that this is a completely new world and we need to have a completely new idea of what marketing even means to an organization. I I love the example. I mean, it's it's extremely powerful. The numbers are great. The story is great. Um, Let me just circle back, make sure we've uh, clued in listeners. Context marketing revolution. Um, To what extent maybe we haven't quite covered this term yet? Anything more you want to say on that front? Well, I mean, we can break the words out in the title. Um, That's pretty important. So the words were chosen specifically. So the first word of context, why did we use the word context? If we go back and we talk about that math of noise and we say, well, what is the ground of this environment? What does it operate upon? What the modern media world operates upon is the word context. Now, just think about this simple example and it makes it very clear. Go back to the first time that you got social media. If you were someone of my generation, that was probably in like 2006 or seven. And what you remember, even up to a few years ago, was if you would look at timestamps on the posts in your feed, you were seeing a chronological account of what was happening in your network. Remember, chronological. Once we reached a point in time where there was too much stuff to simply fit into a chronological timeline, we applied artificial intelligence to that information. And what does artificial intelligence do? It creates a contextual time feed is only showing you what it believes is in context to you in the moment, i.e. what you're going to engage with most. Now look at the timestamps. You'll see timestamps from all over, from years ago, from months ago, from hours, days, weeks. It is no longer chronological. It is completely contextual. Everything digital is now driven by artificial intelligence, whether it's a website, whether it's going to be a news feed, whether it's going to be the ads you see, everything will be driven by AI in the future. And most of it already is today. 
And what is that AI operating for? It's operating for context. It's the modern ground of the modern world. So that's why we use the word context. And then the word revolution is really explained best by that case study of Mercedes-Benz and Tesla we just said. This is not a new idea of marketing. This is not how do we take something that we knew and how do we make it more efficient? This is how do we come up with a new idea of marketing made for a new time, i.e. true definition of revolution. So that's why it's called the context marketing revolution. Okay, fair enough. I've in fact had Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore on my show. Uh, I've known Joe for about 20 years and I've always thought that the experience economy was an incredibly powerful and important book. Seems to me we've got experiences here. We've got algorithms, and you also mentioned influencers, in particular, even nano influencers. Do you want to explain that term for listeners? Yeah. So let's break this thing down. So when we start to talk about the word of context, we really have to understand how do we reach context. So let's play with some ideas, things that we know, and see how they play out in the future. So here's a notion that we know: this idea of personal or personalization. In fact, if we want to talk about books, I want to challenge you with this idea. Right. Think if you know this, if you were if you really kind of think of yourself as a know it all about marketing stuff, ask yourself this question. When is the term one to one popularized? There's a book. You know the date. And if you go back to that idea that I said, marketing is a game designed to be played given a specific environment. They're not marketing truths. They're just marketing games. One to one is first published in 1993. There's a man named Siebel who creates a piece of software that that really spurs this whole revolution where we can create one message for one person at one time and deliver it, not just theoretically do it, right? So that's really what we start to think about is this idea of one-to-one. And then we think about personal as the apex of that, of how do I create the correct thing for the correct person at the correct, at the correct time? But that's actually theoretically wrong because we can prove that that is not true. And how can we prove that it's not true? And I can say, just look at the data on Google AdWords engagement. A couple examples. Number one, what is the average engagement with Google AdWords? And let's just go with, this is the apex of one-to-one at probably the infinite scale that we could ever get to. It is programmatic. It is at the point of intent. And it is right there in the person's face. You cannot get any more specific to that right message, right person, right time. And what's the engagement rate? Do you, do you know, Dan? Uh, no, I do not. It's an average of 2.35%. That means 97% of the time, right message, right person, right time fails. Now here, let's dig deeper. If you look at Google AdWords on a desktop screen, you'll notice something today that was that is no longer there, that used to be there. And that's the right-hand side ads. Do you remember those right-hand side ads that used to be there? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, they took those down. They took them down for two key reasons. Reason number one is they wanted to streamline the experience so that it was the same on mobile as it was on desktop. Obviously, you don't have that space on mobile. So number one reason. Number two reason is the engagement rates on that right-hand side were a fraction of what they were at the top. So by getting rid of them, they really didn't lose anything, right? When we break down just how inefficient those right-hand side ads were, they were a fraction. I'm talking a fraction of a percent of engagement, right? So even if the right message is the right, right time, just on the right-hand side, was like a 99% failure rate, right? So when we start to look at these ideas, we need to start taking a different idea. So that word personal, the apex used to be one-to-one, but now go back to what I said earlier. It's not just about more noise. It's about new connections, new possibilities and ways of doing things. So we've always known about word of mouth. We always know it's very powerful. And in this modern world, we must realize the apex of personal is not one brand, 
mass personalizing an experience to one individual, yes, that's good. But what's better than that? One human talking to another human on the brand's behalf. And that's exactly what influencer marketing is. And when we do the data and we ask marketers, what's the number one most valuable marketing channel by customer journey stage and break it out into six stages, awareness, consideration, yada, 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 to advocacy. Four of those top six are human to human methodologies. In this modern world, we must realize it's not your brand. You must leverage other audiences to help tell your story on your behalf. Want to play some simple math? Check this math out. The brand that you have, your social audience, is a number. Let's just go with 10. Let's just say it's 10. The network that your employees have is always going to be a factor of 10 greater than that. So rather than you trying to spend all your time to figure out the most creative message to put out through your brand, it probably behooves you to try to figure out instead a way to engage your employees to tell your story on your behalf because that will have a 10 times greater reach into the market. Yeah, no, I remember that from the book. It was very, very powerful insight. Uh, you're talking about at least a couple of points in the book, you know, kind of like five stages, available, permissioned, personal, authentic, purposeful. Mm -hmm. So when we got to purposeful and we go back to Tesla, obviously the getting off fossil fuels would be the purpose. Um, but you're also here, especially when you get to authentic and purposeful, you're talking about empathy and values. Uh, you talk about purpose being the heart of marketing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a bit more about that? That seems to me to really deepen the connection because now we're moving into an emotional connection. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty simple theory here, right? Let's just break this down to just some simple ideas. Let's say that you sell toilet paper. You have a very limited amount of time in someone's life. Really only time that they want to think about toilet paper is when they're using it and when they're about to run out of it and they need to remember it at the store. Outside of that, you have no influence in their life. So the question is, if we want to think about how do we then have influence in someone's life, the old idea was, I'm going to come up with the most creative way to force a message in front of somebody. That was traditional advertising and traditional methods. But now there's another idea, which is to simply say, what if you had conversations with people about things they cared about that just weren't your product? That's all purpose is. Purpose is a conversation with the market past your product, period. The notion where people mess up with purpose is they say that the only idea of purpose are things like Tom's buy one, get one programs or social justice campaigns. That's not true at all. In fact, we have a very big purpose-driven campaign. We understand that our customers and the world at large around our ecosystem has two main values. They want better personal outcomes and they want better business outcomes. So we focus on those purposes. Now, do we do the other social justice? Oh yeah, we created the 1% pledge, 1% of time, uh, equity, and talent um, to nonprofits and to the world for greater good. But we also do this other idea, which is this notion of trailhead. Now, just think about this, right? This program, and it's very basic. We created a learning management system where people can upskill, right? Better personal outcomes. We also created a network where people can ask and answer each other's questions about products and things inside of the ecosystem. Now, through those two methods, first off, there have been over 15 million people to earn badges to improve their personal careers. And then of the people who engage, one out of every four have found new jobs. Think about the connection to the brand that you get if they help you find a new job, right? That is very powerful. Now, you could say, well, that's cool, but what does it do for you as an organization? Customers that engage with this platform spend twice as much money with us and stay customers three times as long. 
but it doesn't stop there. Traditionally, when we would think about these numbers, this would be from a campaign, right? I launched this ad and it was in the market. Those are spikes. Those hit and then they go away and the impact is often retreats and you have to come up with another one and another one and another one. Methods like this are sustainable and scalable. It's constantly on and constantly running. It's not a spike. It's a step change. We have moved up and elevated and now we have a higher platform to work from. So you mentioned uh, toilet paper a bit ago. So there's been these obnoxious, charming TV spots that I've caught every now and again. I think it will surprise a lot of listeners that you say the five most common media experiences are now search, websites, social, email, and voice. Uh, Notably absent there are TV spots. Well, yeah, we don't watch TV. broadcast. Here's a question, right? If we want to think about the future, play this out in your head. When does... The commentary on Twitch feeds surpassed the total broadcast feed of the Super Bowl. What year is that? It's probably two years away. What we must realize is this notion of how we consume content. Here's the best story to help you understand this. I call it Generation I. We often consideration, we, we think about Gen Z, right? We, we put them into a time frame. You're age X to age X. I want you to go even deeper and say, realize inside of this generation, there's Gen I. Here's who Gen I is. When we ask Gen Z, what's the number one job that you want in the future? You know what their answer is? Influencer. Let that sink in for a second. What happens when you have an entire generation that not only has the will, (laughs) they have the tooling, right? We have tools at our disposal that allow us to create better content now than entire movie studios could create 10 years ago. And that's an entire generation that wants to do that, right? That's what you need to think about. That's what's coming down the pipe. Now, When I said, here's an interesting story, I was talking with a broadcast journalist, a local news station the other day, and this journalist had a camera on and he had just shut the camera off shooting a scene inside of a school. And a young child, a six-year-old girl, unprompted, sticks her face in the camera and says, be sure to click and subscribe. Has that girl ever seen broadcast television? She thinks that everything ends with be sure to click and subscribe, which should tell you the majority of what she watches is YouTube. So we must realize in this new world, the things that we know don't exist. And it's only a matter of time before they just completely go away. Now, let's be clear. Nothing ever really completely goes away. It just isn't really the biggest thing anymore. And there's other methods that are more efficient, and more effective. Okay. So, so Tesla doesn't have a CMO. Uh, how are, what's the place for ad agencies going forward? Yeah. So creative still needs to exist. Uh, agencies are phenomenal, right? We're still going to be creating all types of content. We're still going to be creating experiences. We still need to do all the same things that they have done. We just need to think about things in different ways. Rather than spending our creative capital, say, what's the best message? Let's ask another question. What happens if we change the pace of advertising? What happens if we build brands not by how creative can my message be, but how fast can I align to a conversation that's happening in a marketplace? That's called fast advertising. Right. So it's not that these things go away. It's we must realize that the old methods of how we use them just can't be done anymore. We need to find more efficient, effective methods um, to deploy them. But creative always will be powerful, always is, always will be. Okay. You you mentioned at one point um, Cotopaxi. I I don't know them. It's Mm -hmm. an adventure clothing brand. Yeah. Apply your context marketing revolution, maybe something just slightly different, not a uh, adventure clothing brand, but say a a small business travel company, because you do try to make the point in this book that this can apply to small businesses as well. So if you try to apply your knowledge to, you know, building out a a small business travel company, how might your stuff apply? 
Yeah, sure. So first off, thank you. So the, the stuff that we're talking about are macro level, which means they affect all things existing in the marketplace. Doesn't matter if you're B2B, B2C, big, small, mom and pop, doesn't matter. These all play, right? So one of the big things that I want you to think about is these three words. If these apply to anybody. With, not, on. In a marketplace where everyone can take part, you have to realize you no longer can work on the market. You have to learn to work with the market to be inclusive. And why is that important? Because by working with people, you naturally inherently create demand for the things that you co-create. So even if you're a small travel agency, you need to find ways to work with your marketplace. You need to understand that there's a buyer's journey and that the more places that you are going to be on that buyer's journey, the greater context you are going to be for those people to buy your product. You don't need to convince them to buy from you. You need to help them achieve the outcomes that they desire and whatever that means. So traditional research, you need to understand who your personas are, how they buy, and then how can you show up in context in those moments? So it doesn't matter if you're big or small, it's all going to be the same. And if you want some super specific examples, if you are a small local business, local search is going to be important. If you can't show up when people ask questions, it doesn't matter. They're not going to be coming to you. The second thing, learn to work with your audience, find ways to help co-create messages that you can get out to other people, create experiences and programs that help do that. And then always look through the lens of with, not on. And if you just apply those basic ideas to any business, you'll be able to break through. Okay. Transforming uh, is a big word. It's actually a pretty big word in the latest edition of the experience economy. What kind of transformation? I mean, you, you talk about the badges and helping people even find a new job. And obviously, they can be very grateful. Remember that. Any other ways in which you want to build out what transformational is going to mean here in the context marketing revolution? Well, let's just let's take it out of what it means in this context marketing revolution, because that's really not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is what does this mean to an individual in their modern day? Right. Let's flip True. this question. Yeah. So okay. I, I want you to think about it this way. If you're listening to this, you're probably familiar with or you've experienced buy online, pick up in store or online ordering. Right. You've experienced one of those two things in the past year. You had to. So here's the question. What I want you to realize if this is not an experience of convenience. If we look at this through the lens of what Joe Pine and Gilmore say, what we're looking at is an elevated experience where we're transforming the individual from the person doing the work to the manager getting the work done. Let that sink in. It's a totally different framework, right? It's a totally different job to be done. The person is now elevated to become a manager. So it's not just about how to create more convenience. It's how do we think about these things as an elevated person? Now they're simply managing workers to do work on their behalf. That's an elevated experience. Um, I wanted to end with one very speculative question. So you mentioned the transformation over time we have, speaking of noise, we have radio, the TV, internet, and social media. Mm -hmm. And those dates ran, as you mentioned in the book, 1920, 1940, 1990, 2000. Uh, 2000s, you know, already two decades ago. Can you envision that there's a next stage in this game? Yeah. Um, the next stage we're looking at is augmented reality. We're looking at hybrid worlds. We're looking at the metaverse. I mean, all that's already here. Um, so if you put on an event, if you have to drive any type of demand or you've experienced an event, let's say you wanted to go to a concert, it was virtual. Uh, Burning Man was virtual if you're a, a, if you're a Burn fan. So th there's all kinds of aspects of this new virtual space that we're living in and this interconnectivity between people. Um, so, you know, what is the next media format to come out? I really don't know the answer to that, um, but I really think it's it's not a format per se. It's more so a combination of formats into things as metaverses. 
um, where we really need to be clear on moving forward. It's about what people can do in these worlds. Um, it's not so, such simple as just a new method for them to create something and publish something. Okay. One last question. Um, you know, you mentioned permissioned as one of those stages, available, permissioned, personal, authentic, purposeful. Yeah. Uh, you know, the EU has taken somewhat different view of permission than in the U.S., uh, but there's certainly a chance that uh, EU-type regulations regarding privacy of data, you know, may, may cross the pond and come here as well uh, in some form. And that's certainly what Congress is talking about. Is there any chance that how government and, and Congress intervenes here could could change or cause some adjustments in context marketing? Nope, this is exactly what it's for. Here's the point. If you don't have permission from somebody to get their data, to use their data, when you create something for them, they're really not very receptive to it, right? So just ask yourself, the. I mean, here's the data. You, you can just ask yourself the question, do you really enjoy advertising? And most people will tell you no. The only time we enjoy advertising is the very few times that we found something that we bought it and we liked that thing. Those are the only ads that we enjoy, really. So when we think about this moving forward, you must learn that you have to ask for data and ask permission. It's not your data. You don't own it. Just because you put it in a database doesn't mean that you own it. You're renting that individual's private life. Um, and if you're not using that to create a better experience or create greater value for them, you're not going to have access to that in the future. And if you don't have access to that data, you're going to lose. Because who does have access to that data is going to be able to create better experiences, break through in better ways, and you know convert and do the things that we need to do. Um, so permission is a key aspect and it doesn't, you, you shouldn't wait on government regulation to understand that. And if it takes a government to regulate that, you're probably already behind other leaders in your industry anyways. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I want to thank you, Matt, so much for being on the show today. Uh, this has been episode number 51. Welcome to the infinite media era. My guest, Matthew Sweezy, he is the author of The Context Marketing Revolution, How to Motivate Buyers in the Age of Infinite Media. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. Uh, you can check out other episodes by going to my company's website at the obligatory three W's, sensorylogic.com, or go to the New Books Network website, where my podcast was the original special series program. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an appropriate epigram. In light of today's topic, here's a quote from Charles Ledbetter, who said, you are what you share. Until next time, be kind and stay safe.